0: How many of you here remember playing goats in the graveyard? Ever played that before? I'm not sure how it exactly went, but I think somebody was, some were hiding and somebody wasn't. Is that kind of the way it worked? Anybody here ever played that actually in a graveyard? I didn't think so. We call it that, but we play it like in a field somewhere, don't we? No one really goes to the graveyard. Well, there's a new game in town. And it's explained in Ephesians 2. It's called... Grace in the Graveyard. And this morning, I want to walk you through some incredible uh, verses that talk about God's amazing work of grace in our life. So with your Bible handy, Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to look. I want to walk you through these verses actually using this flip chart. You may not be able to see real well. Uh, it's not the biggest thing in the world, but I do want to walk you through this. And I want to explain the text to you in a grammatical way, first of all. Now, I know not everybody here likes English. I'm not taking you back to school. Don't worry. But there's a reason for this. I want to show you, uh, from this passage, what the real gist of it is. Because, did you know that actually we're beginning to look at our fourth sentence? Do you know that? That actually Ephesians 2 Verse 1 is just the beginning of the fourth sentence of the book. Now, in your Bibles, it doesn't look that way because there's lots of periods and that's good because it helps us understand it. But in the original text, in the Greek letter that Paul wrote, this is the beginning of his fourth sentence. Uh, They're very long sentences. Now, if you have a King James Version somewhere handy, you ought to get that out and look up these verses because that translation gives you the best sense of actually what Paul probably meant when he wrote this, as far as the way it just kind of runs on and on. The energizer writer, you know, on and on and on and on. And we talked about how Paul was probably caught up in some type of, uh, we'll use the word, spiritual fit. I mean, uh, he just was so into praising God that he he just kept writing and writing. And this sentence here, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, is is one whole sentence. The fourth sentence of the book. I'm going to try to help you make it cent- uh help you understand this sentence better this morning. That's why I'm going to go to the grammar for a little bit first. So, with our Bibles in hand, let's take a look at, at the idea of grace in the graveyard. Now You'll see why we call it that just in a moment. The Bible says in chapter 2, verse 1, As for you, you were dead. Now, pause there for a minute, and I want, you to, I want to explain to you why he puts the words, As for you. If you look back in chapter 1, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, you've known that we've talked about someone else who rose from the dead and who one day is going to be seated and exalted. That person is whom? Christ. Look back at chapter 1, the last few verses, 20, 21, 22, 23. So he's talking about Christ being raised, being exalted. And then he says, but as for you, as for you, Tommy, as for me. I mean, you see, we're just not there yet. See, we, we're dead. So, let's just jot this first of all. We, and you'll see this on your teaching tool there, if you have it there in front of you, from your worship folder. Just write in, we were dead. And it's going to explain what it means to be dead. Alright? You were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following his desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. In a nutshell, he explains what it means to be dead. Let me show you some marks of death. Okay, now follow along with me. This is a real uh, introductory clause is all this is. There's no subjects yet. He's just talking about what we once were. And she'll throw behind me some, some grammar things that are in this, in this, so don't worry. This clause here talks about how we were dead. He says, we followed the ways of the world. Uh, We had the spirit of the ruler of the kingdom of the air working within us. We were disobedient, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature. Let's just be frank here, folks. Dead people who don't know Christ are being used by the evil one. The prince of the power of this air, the Bible calls him Satan. To accomplish Satan's purposes, not God's. They're dead. Now, you don't like the way that sounds. You're like, man, that's kind of mean. I thought they just were good people. Didn't know any better. Wait, 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 wait. This verifies what Christ said in the New Testament. When he said, he that is not with me is against me. You see, let's just be very frank about the way Uh, The way it is. There are no neutral people. It's a stinging way to open up the service, isn't it? But the Bible speaks here about those who don't know Christ, they are dead. And in fact, the spirit that works evil in the world is actually using them. Now, let me see. That raises the stakes of what's going on in Ankeny. That raises the stakes of what's going on in Metro Des Moines. It's not just, well, you know, if we get around to it. Well, we'll see what happens. Listen, folks. God is at work. And there are those forces that battle God. There's His Holy Spirit. And then there's the spirit of disobedience that's trying to work evil. Are you with me? Those who are dead are being used by that, by that, by that one, Satan, to accomplish his purposes. And the truth is, I want to teach this in a minute. They can't even help it because they're dead. They were born that way. They were born in sin. Now, I won't mean that in a politically correct way like they can't help it. I'm saying it was part. it's the way they were made by nature. And you were too. Paul says that. It's really cool in verse 3. Look what he says. Hey, we were that way at this one time, right? Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. So let's understand something first of all that before Christ, we're simply dead. The picture is of a graveyard. But then verse 4 comes along. But God, because of his great love for us, who is rich in mercy, he made us alive with Christ. And then he mentions three verbs here. So just jot this down in your teaching tool. We were dead. We had the marks of death all over us, disobedient, the evil one working within us, following the lusts of our flesh. But God did three things. This is the main subject of the sentence. All these ten verses point to this one subject, but God. He did three things. I'm going to go to this side and right here. He made us alive. Just jot that down. And then He raised us up. And then He seated us. You'll be able to read that, hopefully. If not, you can hear it, follow along. These three things are what God has done. And the modifier for all of these, watch this is the word grace. Follow with me. Look at Ephesians 2. Look at verse. Let's keep reading here. But God, who is rich in mercy, made alive with Christ, even when we're dead in transgression and sins. Look at the next verse, verse 5. It is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace. There's grace again. Expressed in His kindness to us in Christ. Look at verse 8. It is by grace you've been saved. So here's the point. All of these things that God has done for us, He's made us alive, raised us up, seated us. You know what happens? It happens by grace. So just jot the word grace in there. I'm kind of riding on a slant, but you can follow me here. We'll get through English class here in a minute. Hang with me. Made us alive. First of all, it just speaks of bringing something dead back to life. Bringing a, giving a corpse a resurrection. That's what happened to J.C. a couple weeks ago. He was dead. God moved upon his heart, revealed His grace to him, and J.C. responded. And J.C. was brought to life. Tonight we'll celebrate that at baptism. Okay. God also raised us up. The word here is the word from where we get our word synergy, which is the idea of with, you know, people working together. By the way, He's raised you up with Christ. Now, let me speak to you very plainly about what this means. You don't have to sin. Colossians 3, Romans 6. Because you've been raised with Christ, Ephesians 1 even says the same power that he used, that he exerted to raise Christ from the dead, is the very same power available to you. That's what the point of raising you up with Christ means. You don't have to give in. You don't have to sin. I don't have to sin. And He seated us. This speaks of our position. This speaks of our power in Christ. How God already sees us, you know. Now now listen very carefully. If this language seems lofty to you, if this language seems out of touch, if you're like, Todd, I don't feel that way at all, then perhaps we're a little out of touch with the true transformation that took place when we, when we got saved. Are you with me? Maybe we've made regeneration. Maybe we've made the salvation process so man-like that it's almost like turning over a new leaf. I want to totally debunk that this morning and show you from Ephesians 2 what God has done in your life. God has done an incredibly uh, a superior work to what anything a man can do. He has brought you from the dead. He has put you with Christ, and, and, uh, and raised you up with Him in power. He seated you in the heavenlies. How He sees you as, as already complete, so that one day, watch this. I'll just put the word "demonstrated." I'll abbreviate actually. You just write in "demonstrated." I better not abbreviate "demon" with "demon." That's not a good idea, is it? We'll put "demonstrated." How does that sound? That's funny. This all happens so that one day. God can show you to those around and say, Look at the incredible work my grace has done. So out of all these verses, I want to say that the real main focus is right here. This describes what we were. This shows what's going to happen. But the real gist of all these verses is what God has done to those who believe. You know, nowhere in these verses that say that, that Amy, because you had some interest in God, he decided he'd do a good thing for you. Never says that. Never says, "Megan, because you know you decided to be a good person one day. This is all about God initiating the work of grace in your life, finishing the work of grace in your life. Our job is to simply respond. So church, are you listening? There is no room for boasting, is there? Nobody here was looking for the Lord. You may have sensed something in your heart like, man, something's going on in my life. But God was seeking you. God was arranging the events of your life. Are you listening, church? He was ordering the circumstances of your life so that He could get your attention and then at some point say, listen, I want to transform your life. I want to, by grace, save you. At that moment, we respond and say, yes, I accept the gift of God. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. Let's finish uh, these verses, because it's really interesting. He said, it's by grace you've been saved, and this is through faith. You see the word it in verse 8? I think that refers really back to the whole process there. What is by grace through faith? This whole thing. There's no room for you to say you have any part of it. You've been saved by grace through faith. It's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. We are God's workmanship. Hey, did you you catch that? Hey, Joel, whose workmanship are you? You're not Sarah's. I don't mean that negatively. He's not his parents' workmanship. And smart parents don't lay claim to good kids. You know that, don't you? Smart parents say, Man, I don't know how they turned out so well, only by the grace of God. That's what smart parents do. Because the truth is, they know who owns their kids. We're God's workmanship. Joel, the reason you're Joel, the wonderful Joel, yours, is because God's made you, God's working in your life. You're God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What an amazing 10 verses. Now, I broke it down for you grammatically. So you can see that really verses 1 through 3 are just going to introduce things. Here's the main gist, and these kind of conclude things. But when you look at that, you can see why John Newton was a lost man attending a bar, getting drunk, while he would write these words. Amazing grace, how sweet. The sound. Sing with me, would you? That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Think back to when you were blind, but You got sight. Think back to when you were dead and the grace of God entered your graveyard. What an amazing day that was, wasn't it? That's when God made you alive, raised you up, and seated you in the heavenlies so that one day He could show you off as the incredible. The word incomparably here, Sean, is the word hyperbole again. He could show off beyond anybody's words beyond exaggeration, His amazing grace. Now, grammatically, it's good to know that. Doctrinally, we see that it's all about God. At First Family, I want this to be very clear. We believe that God saves people 100%. It's all His work. We only are respondents to His grace. And by the way, if you're wondering how grace is revealed... The Bible says very clearly the grace of God is revealed in the form of Jesus Christ. John 1.14 Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. In fact, look here at Ephesians 2. I'll show you the clearest reference in fact in this passage. It says that in the coming ages He'll show the incomparable riches of His grace. Look at verse 7. Expressed. How is His grace expressed? Expressed in His kindness to us in Christ. How did God show you His grace? It's not some like a uh, figurative cloud. It's not some concept of like, well, you know, is that some ethereal thing I can grab? Grace is a person. Jesus Christ. When you look at the cross and see Christ dying, you can say, there's the grace of God for me. He brought grace to us. So it's through Christ, it's through grace that these things happen that God does. I want to challenge you before we move on to do something this week. I want to challenge you to to really begin to upgrade and uh, raise your view of what God did in your life the moment you got saved. I really believe, and I think God's Spirit's been saying this to me the last few minutes of just talking to you. I really believe a lot of us have a very mundane, bottom-of-the-barrel view about salvation. And I think we need to really begin to think about all that. I mean, Paul spent over two chapters writing to believers about the process and the act of salvation. If you're bored with the cross, that's not not very healthy. Going back to the day you were saved and seeing the incredible work God did ought to move you. Remember, I'm all for growing deep and growing tall. Amen. Hebrews says to move on. But don't ever forget the foundation on which all of that is built. It started with the grace of God in Christ when He moved upon your heart and you were saved. So I want to challenge our church to think daily about the amazing grace of God. Read passages like this and let them just massage your brain and your heart. Let me give you three observations that we take from this, though. I'm see. Can we just slide this over to the side, Brad, a little bit? That would be great. Thanks. Let me give you three observations based on this that I think will help us tomorrow morning at work. This will help in your brain. And that's important for us. But let me kind of talk to your heart for a little bit. So you can be prepared for, to meet some people. First of all, here's three observations. One is, dead people are walking all around me whether I like it or not. Dan, that doesn't sound real nice when you go to work tomorrow to, to look at your other people as dead people if they're not born again. But can I say to you in kindness, that's exactly what they are. Here's an exercise for you. Tomorrow, when you go to your to the bank or to the gas station, wherever you go tomorrow, to the office, if you know that there are people there who are unbelievers, see them as a skeleton, as just a bag of bones, so to speak, waiting for real life. Yeah, look past what they drive. You listen, to church. Look past what they drive. Look past what they wear. Look past the name brands. Get beyond the, what's in the checkbook and see them the way God sees them. Loved, but dead. That's right. And can I say, you don't get mad at them. There's an inborn code. There's an inbred code they're living by. It's in verse 3. Look what it says. They are by nature. See that? Underline the word nature. They're by nature objects of wrath. You see, it's amazing the amount of times I find it that we get mad at people who are lost for acting like they're lost. What do you really expect them to do? I mean, they have only one code to operate from. They have only one system of beliefs, one value system. And that's the one of the evil one. That's the cosmos here, the world system. Now, we shouldn't say it's good or healthy or we like it, but I mean, good night. They're really not our enemy. The one driving them, the one using them to work his plan, is the enemy. So tomorrow, here's an exercise for you. As you're about in your day, as you're going about your errands, spot the dead people. Pray and and then live to bring life. Dead people are walking all around me. You may not like that. You may think that sounds crass, a little crude, but it's Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. That's what's going on. And I like what Paul does here. He includes us in that as far as how we once were. You see, before you point outwardly and say, Hey, all you dead people! Remember, that's exactly what you were one day. Isn't that right? You were just like that. So was I. Lost, acting like the world, living out our lust and being used by the evil one, but God moved upon your heart. His grace was revealed to you. Pray that that would happen for other people. Work to that end. That brings me to the second point. God is working all around me, whether I know it or not. Let me show you an interesting uh, contrast that the Lord really opened my eyes to here in the last few days. I told you that, first of all, these dead people are just living out their nature. Romans 5 says, you know, that we were passed on this nature from Adam. And so when I say it's not their fault, what I'm saying is, they got it from Adam, right? So did you. So we're just living with this nature, this sinful nature that we have. It's all we've got until Christ changes our nature. Now watch this. How does that happen? The old dead nature is brought to life and changed by God's nature. Look at verse 4. But... Because of His great love for us. God, who is rich in mercy. You see, before He ever gets to what God did, He tells you two things about Him, who He is. He's rich in mercy, and He has great love. Now, let me say to you, church, without those two things first, God wouldn't do what He did. God behaves in accordance with His character. He's a merciful loving God. So then he moves on behalf of Emily Miller to save her. God's not looking for a hobby. He's not just out of things to do. His character, his nature is to love and be merciful. And who better than mankind who needs love and mercy? Isn't that easy? Paul talks about our nature and then God's nature. The answer to the sinful nature is the spiritual nature. The answer to your friends in your neighborhood, the folks you bank with, the folks you drive around with, the folks you hang with, the answer may not be the next, you know, fancy club or or the newest diet or or the coolest novel. The answer is a nature change. That brings me to say this, my role shows signs of life among the skeletons of death. We are to resemble the life of the Lord. Even though we're probably around dead people. We should be the extension of the grace in the graveyard. That's what God's done in our life. Here's two ways to do that. They're in your text. I'll just bring them to your attention. You can jot them down. How do you really show signs of life? Well, he mentions two here. He says, first of all, it is by grace you've been saved. It's not of works, lest, so that no one can boast. First of all, a grateful spirit is a great way uh, to show signs of life. Let me just give you a real simple tip here. Can I do that? Just say thank you a lot. Just say thank you a lot. In fact, I would add to that, start saying thank you and then direct that upward to God. Someone brings you a tray of food or a... Or serves you dinner at a restaurant, say to them, "I thank God for you. Thank you." That's kind of weird, Todd. It sure get the message across, wouldn't it? That there's more there's more at stake here than just what I am eating. If someone pays you a compliment, direct it to God all the time. That's a beautiful baby, Aaron. Man, God gave us a great gift, didn't He? Just give it to God. We thank God for our kids. Hey, that's a that's a. A nice coat, Deb. Thanks God gave it to me. That's right. Now, so you laugh. Your workers, your, your friends will laugh. But what will it do? It will begin to show that there's something going on here greater than, Oh, yeah, man, I it on sale. I got a good deal. Man, I look pretty buff in it, don't I? <laughs> It'll be like, why does she thank God for a coat? Who knows what door that could open? You see, one of the things here, we're not to boast about anything. So let's just live that out. Let's give God thanks for everything. Nice car, nice coat, your food, your children, your spouse. Anything in life, say, you know, just defer to God. I praise the Lord, I thank God. That's a great way to show signs of life. Here's the second way. Do good works. Look what he says in in verse 10. We are God's workmanship, and we're created in Christ to do good works. One of the best ways to show signs of life is to be involved in good works. And I want to thank all of you for doing that. One of the neat things about a church plant um, and if you're new here, just checking things out we are about three months old. Uh, we started in September, and there's no harder working group of people in this whole world than the folks here at First family. You have all done so many good works. You have let your light shine in so many neat ways. And I'm not talking about just the folks who show up here and set up. I mean, that's a huge task. Those who tear down, those who come on Saturday nights to do the sound, those who run the sound, those who wipe the tables, those who handle the nurseries, those who work with the children. There are folks meeting at 830 and 1030 while we're in here. They're ministering in different areas. There are folks on Wednesday who get the food set up. There are I mean, there's a lot of people doing good works here. There's a lot of you doing good works outside of here. You're talking about your church. You're leading a small group. Uh, you're involved in, in a host of things. I want to say something to you. Thank you. You're doing more to testify to God's grace than you'll ever know. You see, people do wonder why you do that. I mean, they know how short time is to most people. Why don't you just go home and slouch on the couch and grab the remote? I mean, are you, are you really that bored? No, no. I'm not there's just a lot at stake here. I'm just involved in something a lot more important than than just making money, having a job. Man, I'm living for a kingdom that's not of this world. I'm living for one day. You see what I'm saying? I mean, good works speak of that. Now I want to thank you guys. The reason First Family has been favored by God, one of the reasons at least is because I think we have a people committed to living out Ephesians 2:10. Just doing good works. I mean, a lot of you are, are doing things. What Mary Feast told me today um, her electric bill went down $100 last month. Can I say this, Mary? I already did. Is it okay? <laughs> I'm sorry. I have that bad habit of just kind of saying things and asking permission, you know. Uh, some of our men went and insulated her house and the attic, some areas like that. Anyway, and uh, this past month, her electric bill was $100 less than it was earlier. Isn't that great? That's just good works, man. That's awesome. That testifies to the grace of God. Other things, I know of one of our members, of our men in our church. Uh, I don't know all the details, but he was responsible to help deliver like 54 turkeys during the holidays. They were going to just do a couple or three, and something happened, and they got like a bunch of extras, and they gave them all away to the needy families. Isn't that awesome? That's, that's great works. Uh, I hope one day in our church, you know, we can help paint the city parks. Wouldn't that be neat instead of the, the men in blue with the big A, you know, painting them? Why don't we just say, hey, give us a society. We'll paint that part. It won't cost you anything. We'll paint it. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't it be great if at your neighborhood, at every time the, the time changes, which that may not be that way much longer, right? But if they keep the time change, maybe go to all your streets in your neighborhood and give out a 9-volt a, a battery so they can change their smoke detectors. You know, that's kind of the, the proper thing to do, you know. Why don't we just give batteries to everybody? You say, Todd, that's, uh, that's crazy. No, it's just a good work. Just do some good works. It testifies to the grace of God because they'll ask you this. Why are you doing this? And you say, you know what? God just has uh, blessed my life. I'm just very grateful. I don't know everything, but God's been good to me, so I thought I'd pass it on. Um, those are two ways to show signs of life. Don't forget, though, that signs of life are really evident, especially among skeletons of death. And that is where you live. I want you to leave here this morning with with one objective. A lot of things will happen. You'll be more grateful. You'll be thankful for what God's done for you. I mean, a lot of things will happen. But I I have one real clear objective. I want every person leaving those doors. When they view people tomorrow, I want you to view them with this question. Are they dead or alive? Is that a skeleton or a child of God? You can think it sounds weird. You can think it sounds funny. But I'm just trying to teach you the Bible. The Ephesians 2 says that if they're not made alive by Christ, they're dead. So I'm going to invite you this week. Start looking for the skeletons. If you don't know if they are, ask them. And don't just blurt out, and say, hey, you dead? You know, I wouldn't do it that way. Now some of you might like that. I'm, I'm watching some of you now. You're like, hey, that's my kind of tactic right there. You know, and, I wouldn't use the word skeleton perhaps either, you know. Um, But begin to talk about their life. Find out if they're dead or if they're alive. This really matters. Let me just say what God's Spirit is saying right now. It really matters in your family. Now, I don't know the age of all your kids here. But if your kids are at an age where they can understand things to a certain degree, man, I would talk to your kids are they skeleton kids? Or have they trusted Christ? How about your older kid? How about your spouse? Maybe you come here by yourself. I don't, I don't know all the details. But you see what I'm saying, guys? The stakes are incredible. We're ministering in a graveyard. Christ has brought grace to the graveyard. And His extension of that, for this time being, it's us, the church, the beautiful bride of Christ. Christ. Let us be exactly that. Amen. That happens best. These three things happen best. You may not agree with this, but I'm going to go back to a basic thing and then we're done. These three things happen best when you're most in touch with that. I'm pointing to our chart. You see, I've already committed to God. I'm not going to be a manipulator. I'm not going to manipulate our church into serving Him. I'm not going to, you know, and most communicators can do that. They can manipulate and guilt you into things, and they can, there's just a way, preachers have a way of doing that, you know. You just sign up for everything in the world, and you're like, man, I didn't want to do this, and I'm, you know, we just not going to do that First Family. Now, I will communicate with you passionately, but I want to tell you something I believe to the depths of my soul, because I think it's biblical. This is the best motivation there, there is. If I can prompt you to fall in love with God in a grateful way for His amazing grace, I, I just need to get out of your way. <laughs> are you listening to me? I'll just step aside and let the work of God take over. You don't need me messing it up. Let me stick in my hands in there. And So my goal this morning, as you leave thinking differently about people, asking are they dead or alive, The way to do that is to ask you to go to the cross every day. To think about his amazing grace. Consider the amazing grace of God in your life. Hey, go back to the day you were born again. When you said, man, without Christ, I'm going to hell. And you said, God, save me. Think about that day. That'll do you a world of good. In fact, we're going to end exactly that way. I'm going to ask you to look in your teaching tool. There's a couple of prayers that I'm going to bring to your attention. One is kind of known as the sinner's prayer. There's different ways to say it, but what it is, it's the prayer of someone who doesn't know the Lord. If you're here this morning and you're dead, I say this with kindness, if you're here this morning and you're not sure that you've been brought to life by Christ, I invite you to pray this prayer in just a few moments and to receive Christ as your personal Savior. We're going to have a song in a minute. They're going to play, and we're going to bow our heads, and we're going to just pray. At that point, I just want to encourage you to read this prayer. You've got to mean it from your heart to God, okay? There's nothing magical in these words, but God responds to the heart of faith. And if you want to trust Christ as your only hope for salvation... As this song is played and as we're listening and as we're praying, you reach out to God and say, Lord, I do believe. Others here, they may already be Christians, but maybe you've been cold about your salvation. Maybe not. Maybe you're hot about it and you're just really moved this morning to respond to God in a better way. Would you pray that other prayer there? And would you promise God that you want to be an evidence of life around the effects of death? In other words, regardless of what you pray, maybe you just want to talk to God on your own terms. Maybe you want to pray the words of this song. Is this song, you just say them to God. Some of you may want to kneel down by your table. You may want to actually get on your knees by your chair. Some of you may want to gather your table together. Hold hands. Some of you may want to be alone. I know God will lead you, but as we play this song about His amazing grace, I want to invite all of us to bow our heads and reflect for a few moments and meditate on the amazing grace of God so that it will cause us to be the best signs of life possible.